Once again, a packed show in this week's Emerging Cricket Podcast. Challenge League, Asia Cup qualifiers, T20 World Cup 2024 qualifying in Europe, and a heap more. But first, a shout-out to our friends at Patreon. From as little as $2 a month, you can help the cause by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout-out to our latest patron, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log into patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. As always, plenty to talk about on the EC pod. Welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online on Sport FM in Perth. I am your, oh, I think I'm your second reserve host, uh, <laughs> Tim Cutler. Um, regular host Daniel Beswick is busy, busy, busy. And since Nick's done all of the work for everything we're going to talk about tonight, I thought uh, I would pick up the, uh, I'd take up the, the chalice. Would we call it a poison chalice, Nicholas? How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Um, well, maybe maybe it's good that I've uh, avoided this poison chalice, the, uh, the, the dreaded hosting duties. Yeah. Um, how was the Central Coast? How's life? Oh, you know, uh, suburban bliss. Just been mowing my lawn, moving some stuff around outside in the, the world. It's not quite a garage, but, uh, you know, sorting through a lot of junk before we head over to Iceland and, you know, trying to figure out what to keep and negotiating with uh, my long-suffering parents about what we can, you know, st- store at their house. <laughs> um, but hopefully getting rid of a lot of stuff. Pretty exciting though. Pretty exciting Iceland. That's on my my holiday list, and I guess it's going to stay right at the top of it because now I've got free accommodation. So that's beautiful. When are you going? Is is there a magic day yet? Is it, is there a date sorted? Yes. Well, I, I'm I'm flying out on the 21st, and then thanks to the magic of um uh, of international time differences, I'll be landing with with Nate and spending a couple of days in North Carolina, and then we'll be meeting up in Canada. So I'll be flying up to Toronto and uh, meeting up there for the Challenge League, and then after that zipping over to Iceland in uh, in August. So, yeah, lot to do before we head off, but yeah, exciting times. Yeah, and you and I will be roomies in Canada, won't we? Mm, carrying all my stuff that I'm going to have for the next 2 years in on my back. It's going to be shades of uh Jared Kimber coming to uh, to Hong Kong, I think with you sort of traversing your feet and one foot in each camp. You'll be journalist, you'll be media liaison for the Vanuatu men's team. Let's see if you can deal with it with as much grace as uh, as Jared did. If if I can if I can live up to Kimber, I, I'll that's a, that's some pretty big shoes to fill there, Tim. <laughs> um before we get on to wrapping this week, Nick, just a shout out to one of our patrons, Surf. Mm. He's listening listening carefully. He said he was listening to the last podcast and Nick's use of the Batman analogy was very apt. I wonder if that scene he described was for The Dark Knight Returns or so. Tell us about that one. Yes, that is it. Uh, Frank Miller, bit of a classic in the in the comic book genre. An aging Bruce Wayne comes out of retirement to you know fight crime once again. Um, very good read. And yeah, I'm glad Surf appreciated the analogy of uh, of the Netherlands needing to play to their strengths. Uh, very good. And of course, you can go patron or patreon.com forward slash emerging cricket to support us. Bears always says, as I say, so I guess I, I would have to say to keep the lights on. You know, those dollars go towards web hosting and Jesus, the website gets bigger and bigger. I keep getting warnings from our, our hosting supplier. It says uh, you've actually run out of space and the more and more people that get on there mean the more and more computing power. So the more support we get means the more we can do. So thank you to everyone that supports us there. Sort of, I think sixty or seventy people now. They're chipping in every month. So thank you to that. Um, big week of cricket just gone. We've seen ICC, well, an event finish in Uganda with the the men's 
Cricket World Cup Challenge League B, uh, round two, finish up. Men's T20 World Cup qualifier in Europe. Um, it's actually qualifier C, even though A and B haven't started yet, but uh, C has just got underway in Belgium. And the Women's Asia Cup qualifier just finished in Malaysia as well. Let's start with Uganda with the second round of three for the Men's Cricket World Cup Challenge League, hosted in Uganda, and of course, the home team there came in after a blistering start a long time ago yeah. when, when the first round of, of the Challenge League was played when Uganda went through undefeated when that was hosted in Oman. The other teams being Hong Kong, Jersey, Kenya, Italy and Bermuda. But you watched this one pretty closely, Nick, and well, it was a really great series for Jersey. Yeah, undefeated uh, in, in five matches. They've made up a lot of ground on Uganda, who, as you mentioned, were undefeated in the previous round, which... It took place in 2019. Um, <laughs> uh, a very different world. Jeez, it's a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was, well, it was originally meant to be played in Hong Kong and, and um, the changes to the uh, national security law and the protests associated with that forced a change of location to Oman where Uganda uh, won, won all five matches. Jersey won three and Hong Kong won four in, in that round. Uh, this time, Hong Kong still won four, but Uganda and Jersey swapped places with Jersey being unbeaten and Uganda, yes, wobbly start. They lost to Jersey and then they lost to Hong Kong and then they, they won their last three matches, including their last match being the, the East African derby against perennial rivals Kenya, which uh, that made the home crowd very happy. Uh, it was it was fun to watch that one. Good chase, uh, good support from the other sports as well. Uh, I noticed the rugby crane skipper turned out, some, some broadcasters from the football world as well. So it was good to see... Cricket Uganda, you know, reaching across the aisle and, and, and bringing in other support. Um, some some cool photos circulating of the, you know, the full stands, the fans sipping on Nile special beers. It looked like a really fun event. Um, I think Uganda is definitely on the uh, emerging cricket to-do list at, at some point. But uh, yeah, good series. Uh, sets up a really exciting third leg of the Group B that this is in um, with Uganda on 16 points, Hong Kong on 15 points, Jersey on 14 points. And it looks to be a, a three-way race between those three teams um, with Jersey hosting in a couple of months' time. And then, yeah, I mean, Kenya and Italy, they're both on seven points. So, theoretically, it's possible, but a lot would have to go right for them. Uh, and Bermuda are dead last. Uh, they have not won a game so far in either of the series. And they don't really look close to doing so in the future. So, uh, yeah, I'd I mean, we don't know what's coming next, so that's kind of a question, but assuming there will be some kind of relegation, Bermuda are definitely on the chopping block. Getting back to Jersey, though, I mean, they're definitely the story of this round. They just have so much quality up and down the order. The the dynamic opening partnership, um, they've got so many all-rounders, uh, so they can bat all the way down, as we saw in that game where they put on 370 against Bermuda. They just kept hitting all the way down to number 10. Uh, a couple of different spin options as well with Elliot Miles, Ben Ward. Um, yeah, so they've got a lot of options both with bat and ball. Uh, the only thing they're probably lacking is is a genuinely quick seamer and, and that seam attack does look a, a bit toothless as, as we saw against Namibia when, when they played them recently, but we'll, we'll get to that a bit later on. But, you know, at this level, it probably only really matters that the seamers are quite accurate, which they are, certainly. And, you know, even, even on the home tracks over in Jersey, which is where they're going to be playing to, to round out the Challenge League, the seamers are going to be more than a handful with some, some pretty juicy green decks 
historically in Jersey. So yeah, they're a real com- sort of complete package at this level, and and even I would say they've they've got the potential if they do you know win here, they could certainly upset a couple of teams in in the World Cup qualification playoffs. So um, definitely one to keep an eye on. Uh, Hong Kong as well were very impressive after that drubbing they received from Namibia just before this series. I was a bit down on them. Uh, we were a bit down on them. We, we discussed them a bit you know, when, when we, we met up in person. A round, round table chat. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, they, they looked a lot better here with the batting. You know, Baba Hyatt back, hitting it well. Kinchit Shah, Azaz Khan, Nizakat. That They all fired at various points. Um, the spin bowling did most of the damage. So I guess I'll, I'll throw it back to you and ask what you thought of the improvement from Hong Kong after they looked pretty lacklustre against Namibia. Well, Kinchit Shah coming back in helped them, I think. You know, he's I was about to say he's clearly their best player for them now, but then to see the way that Azaz Khan batted when he's in the team really as a fast-bowling all-rounder, but his game has really developed over the last few years, and he's now, what's that, he's now eighth in the, the run scorers list for, for this competition. Yeah, and like you said, great to have Bubba back. Um, he's raced up the, the run scorers as well with him being back for the first time in 221 runs in this series. Uh, but I think the inclusion of um, Yasem Murtaza as, a, as well, as we talked about, left arm spinning all-rounder. Uh, you know, he's he took 12 wickets in those five games and I think he was probably just that glue that perhaps they, they needed. A little bit disappointing not to see Dan Pascoe get a chance. Um, I'm not even sure if he was in, in the squad there, but he didn't get didn't get picked in any of those games. But it just seems to have brought a bit of calmness and stability with some of those old heads coming back, but then also some of the, the young players uh, went well too. So I was pleasantly surprised. It was good to see Jamie Atkinson there as well. Obviously, he was able to get time off you know, coming up to school holidays as well. So it was good that he could get time off his teaching job to get there and play, which is really important. And just to have someone of his experience as as well, just to keep everyone calm. And I was really, really impressed. I think they'll probably look back now and, well, hopefully they don't regret the, you know, the game that they, they dropped in Oman. But I was, I think Coach Trent Johnston will be really, really excited. And, you know, for them now it's preparation for T20 World Cup qualifier. I've seen they've gone to gone to South Africa and seem to be prepping well for that. So so who knows off the, the positivity coming out of this tournament where, as you said, we probably didn't have high hopes, but I'm much happier to, to be seeing them playing like this. So no, really impressive. Yeah, that match against Jersey that they dropped in this tournament was a, a bit of a wasted opportunity. I mean, Jersey put up 289, um, eight wickets down in, in their 50 overs and Hong Kong bowled out for 234. So it did, was ultimately wasn't too close, but you know, Azaz Khan... Looked really good batting so well. He hit a couple of really nice sweep shots and he looked like he was sort of threatening to, to take it away. Uh, they, they just kept losing wickets. Baba Hyatt, again, was, you know, he got a start. A whole bunch of guys got starts, but no one got to 50. And, and that chase, you know, they just kept... Someone would come out and, and look good and hit a couple of nice boundaries and you think, okay, well, this partnership's going to get them close. And then just an unnecessary run out or a sloppy shot or, a, you know, hitting it straight to the fielders. It's just... So that chase against Jersey will be something that I assume Trent Johnston will be, you know, pointing out as as a real missed opportunity. Because even though it was a it was a big target, they were in with a real chance most of the way through, and and they just couldn't quite you know get someone to to stick around and and bat around that person. So that that'll be disappointing for them. Well, speaking of that of that Jersey match against Hong Kong, mm. we had a level four reprimand brought against one of the Jersey players, and I think that's the first time. 
I don't know, when was the last time you saw a level four? I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah, an in- international cricket. Nick, what do, we, what do we know about this so far? Not a whole lot. It's it's kind of very vague. Uh, we, we don't know which players were involved. Um, there's been a couple of different sort of conflicting reports about who it might have been. Kind of some, some social media posts from people at the ground saying it was no big deal. But then, you know, if it was just a bit of sort of argy-bargy, you know, would it really have been given a, a level four charge? I don't know. And, you know, w- w- the ICC is typically silent <laughs> on these matters and until the punishment is meted out later on. So we probably won't know anything until somebody gets charged. And maybe if they don't, I don't know. I don't actually know what the disciplinary process is. Is there some kind of um, appeals system? Like I'm, just, I'm thinking of the, you know, the weekly footy, you know, discipline charges, you know, high tackles and whatnot. And, and every week there's a little roundup about who's appealing and who's been suspended and whatnot. But the ICC doesn't have anything like that as far as I'm aware. No, and a level four will go straight to a tribunal, won't it, rather than being looked at as a match review committee. So, yeah, going to be interesting to see what comes out of this because I'm, I'm not sure, you know, that anyone has been done for a level four before at, at this level. So it's not like it's case law. We can just go and see, well, that you know, someone's been done for a shove or a punch or or whatever has happened. So I I, I don't know. The, the, it was interesting that after being reprimanded with level four that the the player in question was actually, you know, allowed to continue playing. You think if that had, if that had happened? Well, yeah. If it was so serious, why could he just finish the game? I, yeah, it is quite strange. Yeah, because you think of other sports. You know, that's a. I'm thinking of rugby league and things at the moment with so much of it happening at the moment. But you know, you're on report and you're sent off. So you know, cricket had talked about doing that with yellow and red cards, didn't they? But uh, did that actually happen in the end? Did the umpires carry yellow and red cards? Yeah, from memory, it was a trial that they did. Might have been club cricket in England, maybe. It was something the MCC was sort of experimenting with, but I don't think it got implemented. Certainly not at international level. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're yeah, right. I think it was was county cricket. I just came to mind. So I remember that happening. I think it surely would have been that time to, to get it out. Maybe he still had it in his pocket. But now it's going to be an interesting. Well, maybe that's the other thing, and no one saw it because it wasn't on any of the footage anywhere. So it must have happened off screen. And you know, if the umpire didn't see it, then yeah, I don't know. Very strange. Very strange. Look, I've only heard little bits and pieces that a Jersey player collided or ran to celebrate and collided with Esan Khan who then went down and then required a stretcher to be taken from the field so look Esan Khan is a passionate cricketer we know that we've seen it up close we've seen <laughs> we've seen a few niggles between him and, and, and teammates but he's definitely someone that uh, fights hard out there so I'm not, not it's not so much that I'm not surprised but if there was a player that was sort of there was going to be a bit of a niggle bit of niggle out there that Essan you probably expect to uh, be in and around it but uh, yeah it's going to be interesting when this, the, the wash up comes and to see what, what happens um, be like to think it could be done sooner rather than later you can't imagine sort of be out there and playing with this sort of hanging over your head especially with, with Jersey and Namibia I mean I guess we can kind of keep an eye out for who's not in the team uh, in a couple of months time in, in the third series of the Challenge League and you know maybe see if something's happened there but then yeah then that's kind of really, uh, yeah I don't know I, I hope we get a bit more clarity and I just think it's not it's not great for the game if the governing body isn't being clear about these things. Mm. What you make of Uganda after coming through undefeated to the home series and a really slow start, as you mentioned, with them dropping their, their first two games, ending up winning their final three. How do you see Uganda in 2019 versus the 2022 version? I mean, a bit of personnel rotation, a couple of young guys coming through, like Juma Miyagi, who, who's come sort of come through the... The under-19s system and, and Simon Sasazi, who has uh, really carved out a place for himself at the top of the order. 
Uh, he looked pretty good in this series. Um, he he led the chase against Kenya and, and got a fifty as well uh, earlier on in the series against um, against Bermuda in a pretty easy win there. Frank Akinquaza is another one who has has come through the T20 and the youth system, and he made his debut in this series as well in, in the fifty over stuff. So good to see him coming through. You, I mean, yeah, against Hong Kong, they really that was probably the worst performance. I guess they got a good talking to from from coach. Lawrence Mahatlane after that one where they, they collapsed terribly to be 94 all out um, and, and you know, it was pretty embarrassing and, you know, Kenya's always a big event and, you know, they were they were very good against Kenya. They, you know, Kenya were uh, looking like putting up a pretty high total and uh, Cosmos Chiwuda came in and, and uh, you know, finished off that possibility for them. And Uganda, uh, yeah, Simon Sasazi at the top of the order with 87 not out, just kept his head. He looks like a very solid batter. He probably, I mean, he's one of those those players where you think his best format might well be, you know, multi-day cricket where he's got a bit more time to play himself in and, and um, he's, he's kind of one of those barnacle players who just sticks around. And Kenya, yeah, I mean... I don't know. In that game, they they just looked a bit lackluster. They were sort of out of ideas, really. Once the Ugandan batters set up a couple of partnerships and and, and got going, so I think Uganda. I mean, they turned it around, but they turned it around against the easier teams: mm. Bermuda, Italy, and Kenya. Italy and Kenya have been pretty anonymous throughout this whole Challenge League so far. Really, they've won against. <laughs> you know, they've won the games you expect them to win, and they've lost all the other games. Um, but yeah, Uganda, they're an interesting one because the you would think that having seen them win a couple of games against Namibia, who've absolutely thrashed Jersey in their uh, subsequent matches, and I don't know, what, what, what's, I don't know, is, is Uganda just better against uh, their fellow African teams or maybe it's a familiarity breeds contempt sort of thing where um, they, they've seen Namibia play a lot, so they're not too scared of them, whereas, um, you know, someone like a Jersey in Hong Kong, they've come around every three years or whatever it is and, and so they, they're not really used to it it's I, I can't explain it Tim in Italy a funny one as well they've got the leading wicket taker in Gareth Berg with 27 wickets forehead of his nearest rival but then they've got nobody in the top top 10 in either batting or bowling beyond him so if uh, you've got Leverick for Bermuda and the iceberg for uh, for Italy I guess it just shows that you need to have one excellent player to win at this level doesn't it well maybe more than one excellent player because um yeah Kamal Leverock did his best against Jersey when they were chasing 372 for victory he hit 63 um, out of 80 wow with nobody else in the team getting past four that's is that a record well I, I did the maths and it's 78.75% of the team total, which is a lot more... I think the ODI record is one of Viv Richards' big knocks, um, w- which was a tick under 70%. So I, I don't... I couldn't find anyone better in List A cricket, but List A cricket is a bit... It's a, it's a bit nebulous in, in terms of statistical record keeping. So I, I am willing to be corrected if if there's something you know Warwickshire versus Leicestershire back in 1973 or something, uh, but uh, yes, I, I mean I'm willing to call it a record, but you know I, until Andrew Nixon has confirmed it, I'm I don't think it's official. Or Lugnuts, one of the two. <laughs> but yeah, that I mean that knock that Kamal Leverock played just showed his class and kind of showed how useless the rest of the team was. You know he was hitting bombs down the ground, absolutely tonking it into the jungle um, over over the square. Uh, he was just on a different level. And, you know, 
you'd think if he had it, you know, if there were a couple of other guys, maybe even Delray Rawlins was able to make it out for this tour, you know, so he had a bit of support. They could have made a decent crack at it and, you know, maybe they wouldn't have been so bad. I just, I don't, I'm not sure what's happened to this Bermuda team. They they played with almost a completely different team to last time. I mean, obviously, Kamal Liverock's the, the one, you know, the common denominator, but um, he also took the most wickets of any Bermuda bowler in this leg of, of the tournament. So, yeah, I, I'm, I guess... Bermuda probably they don't they don't have that depth to be able to replace guys who you know might be unavailable or retired or you know work commitments or, or what have you and so the consequence is they've just had to field a, a, a very weak side. Um, it's kind of lucky really for them that their fall through the rankings and and down the old World Cricket League system. You know, after 2009 when they lost ODI status um, and they just sort of gradually sort of trickled down the divisions over the years and, and um, they were on the cusp of being relegated completely out of the World Cricket League system when the whole thing got revamped into the Challenge League and they just scraped in as one of the last teams. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd think they will be relegated if there is going to be relegation from this. And, you know, a couple of years later... If the revamp had happened, say, in 2019 instead of 2018, maybe they would have been relegated and, and completely gone and you know stuck on the outside trying to get on the ladder. Yeah, and who knows what is in front of us. You know, We're all still waiting to hear what's the future of 50-over cricket for associates qualifying for the, the 2027 World Cup, which, of course, will be a 14-team affair. You know, at the moment, the... The winner of each Challenge League A and B meets the bottom four teams from League Two above them to fight out. I'm assuming it'll be in a World Cricket League style six-team, just a single round robin event to find the last two teams in the the World Cup qualifier. But yeah, and who knows what it means at the bottom as well. But as we know with with sort of ICC events, so you know, don't don't get stuck at the bottom and just just keep winning and take nothing for take nothing for granted. I said that uh, there wasn't much for for Italy, but uh, they do have a new player that, that came into the team, a Middlesex-born Marcus Campo-Piano, who scored 192 runs at 48. So maybe it's not all doom and gloom there. It just wasn't enough for them to uh, really get off the off the bottom there. So that's the Uganda round. So it's not a huge turnaround for a Challenge League B here with the jersey leg to be played in August, you know. On the other side of the draw, we've got Challenge League A, which is has their second league to be played in Canada in July into August, and then their final of three legs in Malaysia in December. So hoping that Challenge League will be wrapped up by the end of the year with Canada there at the top of that league at the moment. So no, it's all still happening, 50 over cricket, sort of heading towards the 2023 World Cup. But as we go to Asia, Nick, the... Women's Asia Cup qualifier recently finished with both UAE and Malaysia going through. You know, I think one of the beauties of the Asian region is the strength of the, the regional cricket that sits outside the ICC. You know, this anything that comes under the ACC's auspices being Asia Cup, and uh, they do under 19s and under 17s as well, or at least they, they used to recently, is all basically funded from the Asian bloc getting together and running the Asia Cup, and it's almost like a mini ICC in the fact that the, the money's used to fund the event and also trickle down to, to the members. So uh, Malaysia have got through to their, their second Asia Cup. You watched a lot of this again. How do you see it? Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, good good effort from Malaysia. They 
qualified for the previous edition, but that was because they were the hosts. So I don't know how much you can count that. So this time they're they're in on their own merits, uh, which is impressive. Uh, UAE, funnily enough, they they you could argue they were a little bit lucky to make it through the semi final. They dominated the group stage. Um, but they were bowled out for 81 by Nepal with Asmina Kamachaya taking a five-wicket haul and Indu Bama uh, tearing out the middle order with, with three wickets. So they were looking pretty wobbly and then the rain uh, just made the chase impossible and, and um, UAE got through based on their superior group stage record. So that could have been a, a real uh, upset if Nepal had had the chance to chase. Although, uh, you know, the UAE does have a pretty good bowling lineup, so you never know what would have happened there. But yeah, on the other side of the draw, Malaysia, pretty comfortable beating Hong Kong in their semi-final. Malaysia posted 86, uh, four wickets down in 11 overs in a, a rain-reduced affair. Uh, Hong Kong did, took a decent stab at chasing it. Carrie Chan, the skipper, pr- promoted herself up the order. But once she went uh, and Mariko Hill were gone, you know, the two openers, they really ran out of puff and they finished up eight for 74 after their 11 overs uh, with Nick Nua Atelia taking two for nine for Malaysia to, to restrict Hong Kong. So we can get on to Hong Kong in a sec, but yeah, Malaysia's batting, I think, was probably the real story for them. This is um, often the case where bowling is is kind of the, the strength for these teams. So the fact that Malaysia had Winifred Durasingham scoring 185 runs over the tournament and, and Masalisa pretty dynamic down the order with 162 at a, a healthy strike rate. The wickets also were shared around, so everyone was contributing, and that was the other thing. They had a sort of flotilla of bowling options, in, almost like reminiscent of Thailand and the way they bowl, and that you know everyone is just sort of putting in a, a good shift, and it, it, you can't really get anyone away. So it was, it was a good team effort, and playing at home, bittersweet for them. They made the final... And, and the final was, of course, the last match ever played at Kinrara Oval, which, um, yeah, is very sad for cricket fans around, well, around the associate world and, and, and in Malaysia especially. Uh, UAE cruised home in that match thanks to, uh, you know, <laughs> normal transmission resumed with uh, with Tita Satish hitting a, a half century in the chase. Malaysia posted four for 100 and the UAE got there in the 19th over. They wobbled slightly in the middle order uh, with, with a good effort from Malaysia putting on the squeeze, uh, a couple of runouts and some energetic fielding in the ring, but uh, Kushi Sharma down the order kept her head. Um, yeah, I mean, UAE, that game against Nepal where they looked vulnerable, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of... You know, the, the, the top order was sort of a bit too good in that they, they just um, scored so many runs that nobody else really got much of a hit out. And so when in a game where they did lose early wickets, the middle order wasn't really in a position to kind of make up the gaps. You know, Isha Oza topped the tournament run tally with, with 192. Tita Satish, uh, three half centuries, 170 runs. Uh, Kavisha Egadage with 85 was the next best for UAE. And then after her, <laughs> Kushi Sharma with 25 over the whole tournament. So basically, I guess that could be a chink in the armor if you're looking at how to beat this uh, you know, steamrolling UAE women's team at associate level is if you can get the openers early, they might be a bit vulnerable because you know no, nobody else has <laughs> really been in the middle much. Um, so I guess maybe that's something for UAE to, to think about. Um just looking across to Hong Kong, yeah, I mean, they looked okay in parts. Carrie Chan did a good job, you know, skippering. Mariko Hill batted okay, but they just didn't quite have the firepower 
uh, especially with the bat. The bowling was decent. Marion Bibby, joint top wicket taker. Betty Chan, miserly as always with, with her spin. But they, yeah, they're just sort of a, a level below, you know, Malaysia and, and UAE. Yeah, it's good to see. Well, Nepal's, you know, I kind of looked at the result with Nepal only somewhat limping to 109 for six against Hong Kong, who chased it easily, probably their strongest match of the tournament. But despite their goings on in the background, and we, we do lament, I guess it was a good performance in the end. And, you know, I don't know, nobody wants to see a semi final decided on high net run rate during the group stage. So disappointing there for the, for the event. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You're in Malaysia. There's going to be rain. I guess you should get on with it. But in the end, I think it's we could say that the best team did go through in the UAE. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's a sad moment really for cricket that um, we're going to lose such an amazing venue that's uh, hosted so much associate cricket. And I don't know. It's probably been a, a leading venue and, and always a great, not so much a fallback, but always available, always great condition, always a great wicket and. Yeah, it's a big loss. You know, we sort of talk about the likes of Oman putting their hands up now to host a lot more tournaments with, with amazing facilities there where, where it's always been Malaysia. So we can only hope that there's some good news coming out of the Malaysian Cricket Association in the future with further and additional facilities being worked on. But, um, you know, with such a great junior program as we've talked about theirs in the past, with cricket in the majority of the states being played in schools with multi-million dollar investments going into their grassroots programs, you need to have elite facilities. Um, you know, that's always been the final final frontier, and I know that's very Star Trekky. Sorry, people. Um, but for, for Malaysia, is the performance of their national teams to actually convert all this local interest and the tens of thousands of kids and teenagers that are playing it into sort of high performance and having a, an elite facility is a big part of that. So we can only hope Malaysia the best as we look into the future for them. Now, whilst we haven't got to the Men's T20 World Cup in Australia yet, that being held later this year, qualification for the Men's T20 World Cup 2024 being hosted in the USA and the West Indies has got underway in Europe. The full name is the, the sub-regional Europe qualifier Group C, which is interesting because Group A and B haven't haven't played yet. <laughs> yes. Um, but this is Belgium hosting their first ICC event. Yeah, Finland will, will host both the A and B qualifier um, in not too long after this event ends. It's an eight-team competition broken up into two groups. We'll do a single round robin, then go into crossover semis. Group one, when we record here, um, everyone has played two matches, and both groups look the same, but the top two teams having won two and not lost a game. And uh, top teams in group one are Denmark and Belgium, having defeated Hungary and Gibraltar. And in group two, Spain and Portugal are both undefeated, with Malta and Israel not winning a game yet. Now, it's still early days Nick, I think, as we look towards you know Denmark and their history across 50 over in T20 cricket, how do you see them? That? Do you see them as, as favourites coming in? So they had enough cricket coming into here to, to show that they've been informed, do you think? Yeah, I mean, on paper, they're definitely the favourites. And looking at their performances so far, they've been pretty dominant um, in, in their first two matches. Uh, I guess we'll see how they go against Belgium. But yeah, if you certainly, if you're looking at the uh, kind of historical view, you would you would see Denmark as being a shoe in to make that final, and, and you'd be penciling them in to take the single qualifying spot, which, as an aside, is a, a pretty brittle uh, format. 
of having, you know, you, you have semi-finals, then you have the final, and, you know, the winner of the final is the only one to get through. But, yeah, Denmark won by 88 runs against Hungary and then 132 runs against Gibraltar. Nice to see Nikolai Legsgaard, Damgaard, back in the team. Damgaard was one of the players that protested against uh, the Danish board uh, last year. And I guess another kind of interesting thread there is that um, Amjad Khan was a late withdrawal from the side, citing work reasons, but given his presence in the team in the first place was was um, sort of one of the reasons for the conflict with a number of players, not just not just um, Nikolai Damgaard, but a number of other players who sort of withdrew from selection. And the fact he's been pulled from the team, I don't know, maybe there was some kind of uh, negotiations going on there or, or something along those lines. That's pure speculation, though. Um, I mean, arguably, him not playing makes their bowling better. I, I think Amjad Khan is an example of these... Um, associates who think that an ex-full member player is guaranteed to be better than you know what they've got locally, which isn't necessarily the case. We saw that actually with Jay Dernbach for Italy, who uh, was a conspicuous absence from their <laughs> from their squad in the Challenge League here because he he played in the European T20 qualifiers last year and got basically hit out of the attack by lower ranked associate teams. Um, so. He uh, he didn't he didn't reappear in Italian colours and you know Amjad Khan has been pretty anonymous for Denmark in his last few outings so yeah I guess it's just a, a, another data point in the case that I would make that you know picking a guy who played a Test match once you know a decade ago isn't necessarily going to improve your team um, but yeah Demgard put Gibraltar to the sword hit ninety odd off not too many deliveries his batting has improved significantly though his main talent is as a, a very miserly left arm spinner, um, very tall, kind of a bit like you, Tim, um, very tall, uh, bowls it with, with good angle and, and flat. Um, the question, I think, is whether Denmark can step it up at the next level and um, make a, a push for qualification because I, I don't think they've ever really been serious contenders for a, for a World Cup slot. Uh, but now with uh, you know more spots available, they, they might be able to sneak in. Um, and, and I'm just going to uh, put out a, a, um, a Hamlet quote to an audience of one um, after Bertus de Jong told me off for missing a, a previous uh, opportunity for a Denmark Hamlet quote. Uh, we fat all creatures else to feed us and we fat ourselves for maggots. Um, and that's that's Hamlet talking about how, you know, there's always someone, uh, you know. <laughs> um, De- Denmark are, are fattening themselves on the lower ranked teams here and... Um, Maybe they'll then become food for the people uh, on the next level up. So, yeah, I, I think at this level, Denmark are certainly, even though they're not as good as they used to be, um, they're, they're probably the best team here. Um, you know, looking else, elsewhere in the group, um, yeah, as you said, Belgium, the other, I don't know, higher-ranked team, uh, as opposed to Hungary and Gibraltar in, in this group, kind of not very surprising. Um, across on the other group, Spain and Portugal have made the semifinals. Again, not that surprising with Malta. And Israel both struggling. Israel's an interesting case. This is the first time they're playing T20 internationals or, you know, full status T20 internationals. They've always sort of been a minor player in ICC qualification events, but they've always, you know, they've been around for a long time. They joined um, in the early kind of expansion push in, in sort of in the 70s, I think. Uh, and sort of fun fact, Pakistan was the only uh, member who opposed uh, Israel joining the ICC uh, over some 
fairly obvious politics. But um, yeah, they have a, a, a small but um, sort of very interesting cricket scene with a lot of Jewish people moving back to Israel over the years from sort of Commonwealth or, or traditional cricket playing nations and, and bringing the game back with them. I mean, Israel is one that is kind of flies under the radar, but, uh, you know, they, they do have a, a small but thriving scene. Um, and there's a good article up on uh, Emerging Cricket talking about their scene as well. So uh, we can get a little plug in there about that one. Oh, nice. That's what you're here for. If not, we just have to dub it in later. <laughs> I think Shonak did that, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, written some great stuff lately. But, uh, yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, be close to finding out who the first qualifier through. As Nick mentioned, it's cutthroat, eight teams, only one team goes through and then when those a and b qualifiers for europe finish up there'll be one from each that will then go forth to the european final and of course um, with the new qualification structure for the men's t20 world cup 2024 which will be a 20 team event which is great to see we'll have direct qualification from those regional finals now i didn't think we'd talk too much tonight but we have so uh we'll just do a quick wrap of cricket that's going on elsewhere in the world the Sofia T20 Bulgaria against Serbia Bulgaria won a high scoring series there for nil and the Namibia women are touring Europe they've won all against the Netherlands with three matches to go which is good because they've added an extra match after the first one was rained out and they'll be moving on to play against Germany soon which is exciting for all of us looking at the ratings tables and rankings tables when we get to see a country like Namibia in Europe to see some results going across the regions. Singapore men are hosting Malaysia that's one all with a decider being played by the time you listen to this. The Namibian men are hosting Jersey and the USA see prepping for the World Cup qualifier for Jersey in the USA and as Dick mentioned earlier Jersey were thrashed in the first match against Namibia you know time will tell whether they can bounce back and then go forward into the the qualifier in the next couple of weeks and that's the wrap there's a lot of cricket going on Nicholas isn't it (laughs) I remember when we used to do podcasts and there was no cricket to talk about whatsoever well, the um, pandemic certainly uh, played a part in that, uh, and there's a lot of cricket that's got a, <laughs> a huge backlog that we're, we're trying to catch up on. Um, but yes, there's a, a few little uh, little interesting tidbits there. Uh, David Visa has turned out for Namibia at home, uh, giving you know giving the home fans what they want. <laughs> um, yeah, Namibia uh, posted 196 uh, with with Visa hitting 55 off almost no deliveries, <laughs> and um, and then helping with uh, a couple of wickets to, to restrict Jersey to uh, 131 off, off their 20 overs. Um, that Singapore series kind of snuck under the radar. Malaysia just, uh, you know, zipping over to visit, I guess, preparation for Singapore ahead of the, the T20 World Cup qualifier. Um, Daniel Beswick's friend, Syed Aziz, was, uh, was very handy in that series, helped Malaysia post 177 with 56 off 39 uh, and and helped Malaysia win the second match there by about 20 runs. Uh, Namibia, yeah, the women's side beating the Netherlands was a bit of an upset, um, although Netherlands came back strongly and um, <laughs> bowled them out for 29 in the second match. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see how that series goes along. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you say, more cross-region matches. And, you know, the fact that the Netherlands lost to Namibia and the Netherlands are definitely a lot better than Germany, and Germany were kind of struggling against the African teams... I don't know. Yeah, it just goes to show once again the the standard in Africa is uh, is quite good. 
Well, sort of reminiscing as you were going to detail there, I was thinking at times of some of the great interviews we had and to interview the, well, both the ICC Associate Cricketers of the Decade, one being Kyle Kurtzer, an EC ambassador who's hung up the... Well, what, what do you hang up when you're a captain? Do you, do you tear the stripes off your arm? Um, the, the armband? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, past, yeah, you're right. He's taken the armband off and, and handed it, it in. Nothing has been said about, about that, only that he's looking forward to scoring more runs and trying to get Scotland to a, another World Cup. And this week it was announced that 35-year-old Richie Barrington is the new Scotland captain. He's been a pillar of strength for the side over the part, over a decade, really. 92 one-day internationals for Scotland, 74 T20 internationals, 20 first-class games, no doubt, all across the Intercontinental Cup, 159 list A matches, and 96 T20s all, all in all. Um, you know, averaging in the early 30s and late 20s with the bat and averaging anywhere from the mid-20s in longer format cricket and T20s to, to just a nick under 40 in the in the ODIs. He's just been a great all-rounder and continues to be a great all-rounder for his country. But what do you think about the decision to make him captain, Nick? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of one of the obvious choices, I guess. You know, senior player, he's been around for a while. Um, he's in the form of his life with the bat. He's been, uh, you know, pummeling attacks left, right and centre for the last kind of 12 months or so. So I guess... Maybe that takes a bit of a burden off off Kyle, and um, you know he doesn't necessarily feel too much pressure, and and he can just focus on his batting in the last, you know, um, I mean, as much as we'd love to see him bat on forever, I, I think it probably is the last year or two of his career at the moment. But yeah, Barrington, he's a little bit older than maybe you would expect for a captain. So is is are they grooming one of the younger guys to come through, and Barrington's maybe kind of a, a stopgap or, or mentor figure, um, although. I guess if he's if he's skipper for you know the next sort of three or four years, that's a decent um, decent tenure. But uh, yeah, I, I I think he's probably there's not too many other candidates. I guess if if you're looking at it from from that perspective. And I guess you think he's getting old, but I think you know anyone who's watched his watched him play, he's one of the fittest players out there. You know he's got the record at the moment for the most consecutive matches for a team in T20 internationals with, with 70. Oh, good start. So, you know, he's played the, the last 70 T20 internationals for Scotland. So wow. thinking about, yeah, which is pretty amazing in itself. And I, I see this, it's definitely not a long-term decision. You know, he's just turned, turned 35 and you say, well, maybe he's got two to three years of good cricket left before maybe his body starts sort of fighting against him, but who knows? But I guess that also gives Scotland a chance to, to build around him and I, and I almost said rebuild but they don't have to rebuild because they've been playing really good cricket and it's a matter of launching further you know they're going into a world cup in in australia after qualifying automatically due to their great performance in oman in the, the last world cup and they're playing really good cricket and 50 over format too with them probably if you're looking at the numbers in in league two the the best team and probably most likely to to finish first if still definitely if they continue on the winning um, percentage that they have at the moment to catch up oman who finished their matches but no i think it's a a good safe decision I, I i think and like you said who who would be the next one that that's coming through you know the the skill and guile of a of a of a Mark Watt, you think that who's going to be around for a long time, but if he's not guaranteed to be playing for the team in every match because of of county duty, then it's tough to to give him the captain's armband. So no, good 
good decision all round, and it's a you know it's a big little period for. Yes, I did say big little period for for Scotland coming up as they go into uh, the, the World Cup in Australia. <laughs> I've just had some amazing turns of phrase. I've just had a certain large large tailed animal come and start biting at me, wanting wanting attention. So don't mind me just uh, going off on one. I, I can't really oh. get uh, get sniper. Hey puppy. Yeah, I can't get sniper on the podcast. But um, <laughs> again, it's something that a podcast can only you know <laughs> can really really describe well. But um, <laughs> Nicholas, thank you for all the work you did on. This week's spiel yet again. If you want to read more about the emerging game and cricket's new world in general, head over to emergingcricket.com. You know, you're listening to this podcast now, but you can share that with all your friends. But also, as we mentioned earlier on, if you want to support us financially, head over to patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash emerging cricket to support us. We all know costs are going up on many, many things, and uh, web hosting and uh, and design is, is 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 one of those as well. So we appreciate everyone who dips into their pocket every week to keep us going. And well, from Nick Skinner in Gosford, New South Wales, and me, Tim Cutler, Port Vila, Vanuatu. Thank you very much for listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, and we'll be with you again next week. <laughs>